Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economic. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 to 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35,000 of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March what? Who cares? Marching has never changed anything.
portrays him as mean-spirited, was written by Francesco de Bobbia, who was his political rival in the region. It would be like Hillary Clinton writing about Donald Trump, and then you say, okay, Trump was a bad guy. Uh, Bartolome de las Casas, one of the great defenders of the Indians uh, in, in the region, uh, he uh, wrote admiringly of Columbus and said that Columbus was very nice to many natives. He adopted an Indian who was the son of a friend of his. He adopted him as his own son. And Columbus regularly wrote in his letters and diaries that, and bemoaned all of the Spaniards who were treating the Indians poorly because he, he was devo devotedly Christian and Catholic and, uh, and in many ways uh, bemoaned the mistreatment of the Indians in the New World, even though he wasn't perfect. He certainly wasn't this uh, awful, crazed killer. Different point of view. The Bellicose Indians, we're going to get to them uh, momentarily. Let's go to another audio. Today's podcast is titled Columbus, Donner, and Native Americans, original, the original gangsters, 619-768-2945. So in that piece, we heard about the Bellicose Indians. They were killing people, Native Americans, mind you, Native Americans killing Native Americans. What do you call that? Red on red crime, and they were taking land before the white man showed up. Don't get mad at me. I'm I'm just the podcasting in this. Columbus, Donner, Native Americans, the original gangsters. Let's go to our next audio. Monday, October 12th is Columbus Day, which we've celebrated in various parts of this country since the 18th century, even before it became a federal holiday back in 1937. And that's probably long enough, because when you find out the actual facts of what Christopher Columbus did when he got to America, you're going to see that it's one of the darkest chapters in America's history. Now, I've got a lot of these facts, Cenk, so feel mm -hmm. free to just cut me off when you want to interject. Mm -hmm. uh, but first of all, let's start with something light. Columbus initiated the transatlantic slave trade in early February 1494, first sending several dozen enslaved Tainos, these are the native people of the island that he landed on, to Spain. Columbus described those he enslaved as well-made and of good intelligence. He ordered 1,600 of them rounded up and had 550 of the best males and females, according to one witness, Michel de Cunio, chained and sent as slaves to Spain. Of the rest who were left, that person writes, the announcement went around that whoever wanted them could take as many as he pleased, and this was done. And understand that significant numbers of even those early slave deliveries ended up dying en route. Okay, so let me uh, come in there with a couple amazing things here. First of all, he, Columbus also described the, the natives that he uh, ran into when he first discovered uh, this land. If he discovered it, how come they were already there? Uh, anyway, he said they were, quote, so full of love and without greed. And you would think, like, oh, that's yep. great. That's going to lead to good relations. He's like, no, idiots, he thought. They're so full of love without greed. It makes it super easy to enslave them, beat them, murder them, chop their hands off. Christopher Columbus, the original ISIS. We're going to get to that in a second. Yeah. Okay. And so he looked at their uh, love and compassion as a weakness that he could exploit. Mm -hmm. This is the man we celebrate, right? And he says, you take the slaves and do what we want with them. Here's what they did with them according to the journals at the time. So this is history, and it's not somebody else said it about them. They said it themselves, yeah. right? Most of the quotes you're going to see are taken from his personal journals. In the journals of Columbus and his men, they bragged about how they would break the native women and that they would break their will to resist after rape, after rape, after rape. And then eventually they can get the women to do whatever they wanted because they had raped them so much. Yeah. Now, this is the man we celebrate. Yeah. Right? 
So now, look, w when I was a kid, I was told that Columbus discovered America. I knew that he hadn't discovered it because there were people there. Even as a kid, you could figure that out. But I got it. He discovered it from a European perspective. And at least, hey, the Europeans came here, we set up America, and we celebrated it, and I celebrated it. But when I grew up, I put childish things aside. Okay, so now you want to take the blue pill and you want to go back to thinking Christopher Columbus is a lovely guy, understand that you're making an active choice to deny facts, history, and say, I'd like to be ignorant. That's yeah. what I would like to do, right? That's a choice you're making, okay? But now that I know the facts, well, obviously I changed my mind on Christopher Columbus because no one ever told me what the real facts were. You find out the real facts and you go, I, you would have to be a monster to want to celebrate yeah. this guy. Yeah, they, they leave it out of the elementary school textbooks. But yeah, uh, so we have more barbarity, but the fundamental facts, as you pointed out, he did not discover America. First of all, other Europeans had already been to America at that point, and as you point out, well over 100 million native people had already been living there. They had discovered it first, actually. Uh, they did not think that the world uh, was flat at that point. They had not thought that for over 1,000 years. So he was not brave in being willing to go over the edge of the world. Um, and he did not go on a mission of exploration at all. It was a commercial enterprise and a religious enterprise to find gold and to find slaves and to convert them where possible. Now, the initial slave that we talked about proved to be unprofitable, but he later wrote, let us in the name of the Holy Trinity go on sending all the slaves that can be sold. So there you get both the religious and the commercial uh, considerations in one sentence. Uh, when the slavery did not pay off, he turned to a tribute system forcing every Taino of 14 or older to fill a hawk's bell with gold every three months. If successful, they were safe for another three months. If not, Columbus ordered that they be punished by having their hands chopped off or they were chased down by attack dogs. As the Spanish priest Bartolomeu de las Casas wrote, this tribute system was impossible and intolerable. They not only had their hands cut off, by the way, but they were forced to wear them around their neck on thongs. Uh, a little bit barbaric there. Okay, now imagine if ISIS had cut off hands, which they do, right, from time to time. So does Saudi Arabia, by the way, one of our top allies. And then they made the kids, 15, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids, wear the hands around their neck. And then they said, well, I'm only chopping it off because you didn't give me enough money, enough gold, enough bribes, yeah. right? And then, I, I'm, and then they raped the women. They do this to the kids, to the, all the adults. And then they sick dogs on them, rip their... By their flesh from their body as, as we all watch. Now, we would rightfully call them monsters, the, the worst of the worst, right? Now, when Columbus does the same exact thing, we name a national holiday after him. Yeah. Again, if you didn't know, I didn't know either, right? It's okay. We're not a bad person. You, we were all told, hey, Columbus, hey, it was wonderful Italian, comes here, discovers America. Explore, brave. Brave, all that stuff. It's okay. You didn't know. But now you know. Yeah. But now you know. You can't celebrate that guy. Yeah. Now, there's more that they have to know, unfortunately. This is another uh, section from Christopher Columbus's personal journal. He wrote, A hundred Castellanos are as easily obtained for a woman as for a farm, and it is very general, and there are plenty of dealers who go about looking for girls. Those from nine to ten are now in demand. So they had set up some sort of uh, system of pimps and sexual slavery in the New World. Uh, eventually, he went back to Europe uh, and then returned with more men after saying that he could conquer all of the natives because they had so little experience with war that he needed just 50 men and so that he could govern them. On his second trip to the New World, he brought cannons and attack dogs. If a native resisted slavery, he would cut off a nose or an ear. If slaves tried to escape, he had them burned alive. Other times he sent attack dogs to hunt them down, and the dogs would tear off the arms and legs of the screaming natives while they were still alive. If the Spaniards ran short of meat to feed the dogs, Arawak babies were killed for dog food. 
Additionally, and this is one of the sources for the information, we referenced him earlier, one of Columbus's men, Bartolomeu de las Casas, was so mortified by Columbus's brutal atrocities against the native peoples that he quit working for Columbus and became a Catholic priest. In a single day, he was an eyewitness as the Spanish soldiers dismembered, beheaded, and raped 3,000 native people. Such inhumanities and barbarisms were committed in my sight as no age can parallel, he said. My eyes have seen these acts so foreign to human nature that now I tremble as I write. And the final toll for this barbarity, the slavery, the disease, the war, the killing, the torture, experts generally agree that before 1492, the population on the island of Hispaniola probably numbered above 3 million. Within 20 years of Spanish arrival, it was reduced to only 60,000. Within 50 years, not a single original native inhabitant could be found. Wow. Millions were killed as a result of the exploration, the discovery. Wow. And that's on one island, by the way. This was then spread throughout the region. If that's not terrorism, what in the world is, right? I mean, that terrorism is so thorough. If after all the rapes and the beheadings and setting people on fire, they kill first, at first nearly everyone, and then eventually everyone. They kill everyone they see, okay? It's one thing to be ignorant, and that's actually something that plagues us all. We're all ignorant of different things, you know? I'm, I don't know particle physics, right? But, uh, and, and there's a lot you don't know and I don't know. That's okay, that's okay. If you're on a quest to learn, that's fantastic. That's exactly right, right? We're all on a quest to learn. But once you know, then it's an easy decision. If after knowing this, and you know that the contemporaries wrote this, this is not some interpretation later. Mm. They wrote this in their journals, right? After you know it, and you still want to say that this is a good man, because I don't care because he was white or he was Italian or he did it, for the, he's the founder of our country. I don't care. I don't care. If you don't care about this, you're really a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. And you still want to celebrate this guy. It would be like celebrating the leader of ISIS. Yeah. It really would. I mean, this is exactly what ISIS does. And he did it at a level that ISIS couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Okay. So we get a slight different point of view on Christopher Columbus uh, with that particular audio. Today's it's my house. It's titled Columbus Donner, Native Americans, the original gangsters, 619-768-2945. And the reason why I'm calling it the, the original gangsters is because in the first article we played, uh, somebody, they mentioned the Bellicose Indians. You, it has, That's just one example. You had Native Americans, then this is before Columbus got here or the white man landed on our shores. You had Native Americans taking lands of other Native Americans. In today's vernacular, we would call it red-on-red red crime. But nobody talks about that. Then and we just heard, you know, you know how Columbus was doing what he was doing. Now we're going to go to the Donner Party. The Donner Party. These were these were primarily Europeans that were looking to get a fresh start, headed out west here in what we call North America, uh, particularly the United States part of North America. So um, let's go and find out what happened with. The Donners. 
Monday, October 12th is Columbus Day, which we've celebrated in various parts of this country since the 18th century, even before it began. And welcome to Murder with Friends, the show where two friends get together and talk about the darker sides of history. I'm your host, Grace Baldridge, and I'm actually going to be going out of town starting tonight. I'll be in South Dakota and North Carolina for a comedy festival. But Amir and I still want to make sure you guys had some new content from Murder with Friends. So Amir has joined me today in the Murder with Friends studio, and we're talking about uh, a case, really a series of events in American history that we've been fascinated for a while. We really wanted to cover... Uh, initially, I wasn't sure if it qualified as a murder, but doing some digging, it definitely does. There's we are some murder talking in there. Yeah. about the Donner Party. Yes. Um, and I don't know if you guys have any familiarity with what the Donner Party is. It was a, a, a part of history that took place during westward expansion. Amir, can you explain to someone who has never heard about the Donner Party before a little bit about what we're going to be talking yeah, about today? Yeah, so they were amongst the hundreds of thousands of people that were going to the West uh, in the 1840s and beyond. To, as part of Manifest Destiny. So they were a party of around, in total, I think they reached a party of about 90 people mm-hmm. with around like 80-something wagons. And while most people took the Oregon Trail to get to the West, they decided to take another route. And what these people were looking for was opportunity. They were looking for a better life. These were people that gave up everything, everything to yeah. try and find their destiny out West, this uncharted territory. And that brings us just to our first clip to explain a little bit about the time period with which the Donner Party took place. Let's take a look. Some walk 16 kilometers a day for up to six months, going through 10 pairs of boots on the journey. Half are children, one in five of the women are pregnant. Families sell farms, saving for an average of five years to join the exodus, risking everything. I think if there is one episode that encapsulates the American spirit, I think it is probably the move west whip those mules and horses and cross those rivers and cross over those mountains to the unknown and say, I'm leaving everything behind. I'm leaving everything that I know behind to reinvent myself. Uh, Something that Amir and I point out when we were watching that clip was a lot of the clothing that they are wearing on this journey is what we would consider now sort of dress clothing. It wasn't like they were doing this journey in their best athleisure wear. Like vests. And, and like boots made blacks. out of, yeah, like hard leather, you know, and wood boots. I mean, these weren't, these weren't the ideal sort of uh, materials. They were working with the best of what they had. Um, and but they would walk thousands of miles without any foot support in yeah. those goddamn boots. Yeah, so it's 1846, and uh, the Donner Party, which you said about, about 90 people, they set off from Springfield, Illinois, and they are headed west, really yeah. with the destination being California, but... Uh, where in California sort of was yet to be determined. Yeah, it was mostly Northern California at this point because there was still the Mexican-American War going on and people were really uncertain about the territory in Southern California. Yeah, so it was uh, Northern California and then also there was um, the the promise of maybe gold and discovery out in Oregon and California. Uh, They were led by brothers Jacob and George Donner 
And uh, the, the crucial mistake that comes with the Donner Party and comes very early on in their story is the decision, instead of taking the road most traveled, they decided to pull a Robert Frost and uh, take the road less traveled. And um, they took what was recommended by Lansford Hastings, who was a 27-year-old lawyer with a very uh, grandiose vision for his future. He thought that maybe he would rule what would become a Californian republic. Um, and he was the trail guide traveling a little bit ahead of them. He published a book uh, sort of saying that it was the, it was the emigrant's guide to uh, Oregon and California. And in this book, um, he says, quote, the most direct path would be to leave the Oregon route about 200 miles east of Fort Hall, thence bearing west-southwest to the Salt Lake, and thence continuing down to the Bay of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. He's saying that there's this cutoff that you could take. And on However, paper, he hadn't even done it yet. Yeah. This guy wrote this book, uh, and he sort of said you could try it, but he didn't even know it was Yeah, and on top of that, he only, the parts that he did try was just by himself on horseback. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really meant for an entire party of wagons to even try this. Yeah. And like, look, on paper, it looks like a more direct route, and you can see it in, in the map that we're showing right now. But on top of them taking this cutoff, another important thing to remember is that they started their westward expansion at the latest possible time that you should do it. So they had very little margin of error to get to California before winter hit. Yeah, because... They, they left in May, I believe, and you're they, supposed to they be left, earlier than that. Uh, they left in the spring. I believe they left end in... End of spring. Yeah, in like the end of April is when they set off on the road. Um, so it was, they had very little margin for error, and it was... I mean, it was one of the biggest risks you could take yeah. at that time. We were discussing, uh, there was a 70-year-old, she was the mother-in-law to... The Reed family. To the Reed family, who knew that this would probably be the final journey of her life. Yeah, she had TB, she was 70 years old, she was part of this huge family of people moving to the West, and that kind of goes to show what the stakes were for these people, and they were willing, they were willing to go do it. Well, also what it brings up is that when we talk about the Donner Party, some people think that it was just a family of Donners, many but it families. was many, many families. Um, the main characters that we'll be talking about today are the Breens, uh, Kiesbergs, uh, the uh, Stanton, who came back, the Reeds, the Graveses, and Murphys, yeah. um, and then also the Donner family yeah. as well. So it started out as a smaller party, and this happened quite commonly while people were moving to the West. Along the trail, other people would join in because it was safer to go with a group of people. And by safer, I mean because you have more re support system, you have more resources, and uh, Native Americans are less likely to attack mm -hmm. you if you're in a big group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it so they would travel together in these big teams, but they, this group of, uh, this party, decided that they would not take the Oregon Pass, and instead they would take Hastings Pass, which was really the crucial um, and the, the fateful decision for them. It's also just uh, such a human desire. Like, I want to take the faster route, and I want to yeah. get there faster, and I know better, and I'm gonna, everyone else is doing that, but I want to go my own way. Yeah, um, and according to Hastings, who, whose cutoff this is, he claimed that it would save them 350 miles, and because they were leaving so late to begin with, that sounded like a great deal to them. Yeah, yeah. So they make it through the Wasatch Mountains, and they arrive at the Great Salt Lake Desert, and the route that they have now taken, Lansford's route, has taken them about 18 to a month's days, 
So they're already sort of, their supplies are depleting. It is not the easy path that they thought it would be. Not but once they get to the Great Salt Lake Desert, they think, okay, well, maybe the, the worst is behind us. Um, and they elect to have James Reed, uh, who is a character that we'll see more and more in this story, sort of pilot the expedition. Mm -hmm. um, but the desert is really, what, what, what bugs me about this story is that I feel, I feel for them so strongly because you hear in their letters, and there's a really awesome website that I'll, I'll toss up a link below where you can see all their diary entries of people that were in, within one of the parties or knew someone in the parties. Um, they think that the worst is behind them, so that once they make it through the mountains, they think, okay, the worst is behind us, and now we just have to cross the Salt Lake Desert, and then we'll be, you know, yeah. I think it was within like 150 miles of getting to, uh, what is it, Sutter Fort? Fort Sutter? Yeah, Sutter's Fort Sutter in yeah. California. So to go back a little bit, um, there was actually some conflict in the party between George Donner, the head of the Donner family, and James Reed, mm -hmm. the head of the Reed family, mm -hmm. who they were both vying to be the leader. And George Donner was actually the more favored of the two because, according to some of them, Reed was very autocratic in his leadership. Even though he was a military man, he was from America, they didn't like him as much. He wasn't a very likable character. Some people described him as a little bit um, aloof, aloof uh, yeah. a, sort of a smug felt like he was a little bit better than other people right. described as pompous. So while they were trying to make these decisions on the way to the cutoff, it was Reed that actually kept pushing them to take this cutoff because he thought, wow, shortcut, this sounds great, even though everyone else was a little bit wary of doing this because some of them, actually some of the women were the ones that were thinking that Hastings was not a really reputable character to begin with. Because he was 27 years old yeah. and he had no idea what he was talking No one had yeah. any idea what they were talking about right. when it came to the and West. Another interesting tidbit, um, this, this journalist by the name of Bryant, he actually got to the break between where the cutoff starts mm -hmm. a week ahead of the Donner Party. And he went to check out the Hastings cutoff and he realized that it's complete shit for a huge wagon party like the Donner Party. So he got to the fork in the road yeah. and he decided that he was going to explore Hastings Cutoff because it was being published and, yeah. you know, therefore, even though people have said he wasn't recommending it, it's still, if, it, if you're publishing it in your book, you're saying that yeah. people could try it. Yeah. He took the cutoff a little ways and realized it wasn't, it wasn't what he said it was going to be. So he went back to the fort that's at the beginning of the, the cutoff and he left letters warning them not to take this, this cutoff, this shortcut. Mm -hmm. However, the guy who ran that fort, it would be in his best interest to have people take the cutoff because normally people wouldn't even go in that direction. they take the Oregon Trail. So for went. his business, yeah, so he, he wanted people to take so this terrible cutoff. he the letters that this journalist left warning them. Wow. And we, know, we all know what happens next. We'll talk about it. Yeah. So, um, so I guess where, so now where we're picking up is uh, the party has taken this cutoff and it has really led them to some desperate times. And before we even get to the cannibalism, which I'm sure you guys are aware is coming if you know anything about the Donner Party, uh, there are, there's unrest within the group and indeed a murder takes yeah. place. So let's go to a clip right now describing the first murder in the Donner Party. On October 5th, the immigrants were doubling their teams up a steep sandy hill when the Graves family wagon became entangled with the Reed wagon. Tempers flared, and the Graves driver, John Snyder, began beating the oxen with the butt of his bullwhip. James Reed hurried over to stop it, but only enraged Snyder further, who struck him savagely on the head with his whip. Reed drew his hunting knife, 
and as Snyder raised his arm to strike again, drove it into the Teamster's chest, just below the collarbone. Snyder staggered a few yards up the hill and died. Mr. Reed and family were taken to their tent and guarded by their friends. An assembly was convened to decide what should be done. The majority declared the deed murder and demanded retribution. So this is really when we start seeing a change within the party yeah, because the disintegration. Yeah. So he's banished and uh, we'll tell you a little bit about what happens to James Reed after he's banished. But at, when they're banishing him, it's sort of a form of uh, sentencing him to death because yeah. they already knew that how much they were suffering. So his chances on his own um, were also really bad. Yeah, and this was how it worked back then because west of the continental divide, there was no legal system. There was no American law over there, so usually these different parties would have to come down with a verdict themselves. Yeah, it was the, it was the Wild West, and, and that was their that, justice system. I mean, we, we talked about this earlier, that we felt that Reed was probably in every right to defend himself. Uh -huh. And some people were saying not only was he being whipped, but his wife got whipped too when she came to try to defend him. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like Graves had a major break from reality when he started beating his, uh, beating the ox. Yeah. And just to put that into perspective, when they crossed the Great Salt Lake Desert, they lost 36 oxen. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that was their, their way of transportation, but that also would become their food source. Um, and so to go out of his way to beat an animal um, was really stupid yeah. and that's why James Reed called him out. It wasn't just like, oh my god, I love the animals. It was like, are you no. kidding me? Like yeah. this is our way of survival. They you were can't already do this. they were already dealing with a lot of hardships that they did not expect, nor were they prepared mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. Like none of these guys, none of these people had any experience really in the wilderness in hunting. There was very few of them that knew survival skills. Yeah, some of them were good hunters, but um what we'll see is that they weren't exper experienced fishermen yeah. and they, their skills weren't uh, on par with some of the mountain men that yeah. they came across, because I read a record where they came across sort of a mountain man who had also done uh, Hastings Pass, and he said, you guys cannot do this with this big of a group that you have. You'll never get over there with the wagons. But nevertheless, um, with all these delays, they start to make their way over the Sierra Nevada mountains very, very late in the season. Yeah. And um, this is where they start to split off, because uh, the, a bunch of the families want to head over to uh, Truckee Lake, and they're trying to make their way over the mountains. And then on the day that these families, these groups, were making this decision, like, okay, we're going to really go for it. We, we need to get to the summit of these mountains. We need to get over these mountains. George Donner slices his hand open trying to fix his wagon. So they, the Donner family, stay back at um, what is Alder Creek. Yeah, about six miles further down from Truckee Lake. Yeah six miles from Truckee Lake, and Truckee Lake is about 150 miles from Sutter's Fort, which is where all the other emigrants who had uh, gone from, you know, wherever they were through the regular pathway were all meeting up. So they were only 150 miles so away when they were yeah. at Truckee Lake, and then you have the Donner Party at Alder Creek, and this is where shit hits the fan, because October 28th, there's a very heavy snowfall that way earlier than anticipated way earlier than anticipated and it just sort of blocks them in they're just trapped and stuck and they have to make winter camp they have to set up camp they, there's no way for them to move forward that has got to be so 
heart-wrenching mm -hmm. to know that you're here for the next, you know, three months. Yeah, and at this point, I mean, they'd, they'd gone through the Wasatch Mountains, which was very difficult. Mm -hmm. They'd gone through the Great Salt Lake Desert, which they lost a ton of livestock. They were almost out of water. So you have, by the time they got there, they were already kind of fucked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they had lost so much of their supplies. They had lost so much of, of their energy and their hope. And now they're stuck here for a winter. And now they set up a camp yeah. at Truckee Lake, and um, they sort of go back and forth to Alder Creek. Like someone will like send message, send messages, and give way. But really, what the plan is is they're trying to, and they try for you know for weeks, and they'll work up their strength and they'll save up. They try yeah, they to get to Sutter, to Sutter. Yeah. yeah. So that's where we're going to leave you for this part. We have the Donner Party and the other families left at Truckee Lake and Alder Creek. And when we come back, we're going to tell you about how they descended into murder and cannibalism, which made the Donner Party so infamous. We'll see you in part two. All right, today's podcast is titled, um, uh, what do we have here? The Original Gangsters, Columbus, Christopher Columbus, the Donner Party, Native Americans, 619-768-2945 is the live stream call-in number. And um, we've had some trolls come up to try to sneak in here for the last couple of days. Uh, but in any event, um, different points of view. In the first audio, we played, um, you know, the Bellicose – Native Americans were taking lands of Native Americans before the Europeans showed up on the, in the Western Hemisphere. Now that 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 storyline rarely, rarely ever gets told. Um, the Donner Party. Now, we, we, Europeans that have been over here for a while. What's interesting about the Donner Party is this, and I guess we we need to have a. Gary Tabot back on. Um, matter of fact, the, the Donner Party, it, it's thinking to a very high degree is scarcity thinking. And then, as well as now, a lot of people do not know how to recognize how to feed themselves. Now, during the day, when they were on their way out west, pioneers and all this, there was no whole foods and all that. We already get that. But just like the Donner Party, the, the typical person, Western person in particular, looking, if I put you out in the wilds of Alaska, any time of the year, could you feed yourself? doesn't matter if you have a billion dollars because if I put you in the wilderness, your money's no good. That, that, that's, that's a man-made invention. What's interesting about the Don Party then as well as modern civilization now is they, nature, nature provides, nature basically is a proverbial abundant grocery store. In plain sight, you can be in the desert, 
or you can be in a heavily wooded place. You can be in Alaska, in the northern part of Alaska, on a heavy snowfall. Do you know how to recognize the abundant food supply globally, no matter where, where we drop you off on the planet? The typical human being does not know how to feed themselves. We have become totally dependent, most of us anyway, on going to somebody else to feed us with a colored piece of paper that's made out uh, up out of somebody's mind. You got people, matter of fact, what's interesting about the Donna party, because I call them the original gangsters. I always, I'm always, I'm, you know what, I'm going to call them the original niggas, too. And I'm not talking about racial, nothing racial. The Donna party was white folks. When I use the word niggas, I'm talking about somebody that's got something valuable in plain sight. It could be in the form of a person or some type of resource, and they figure out a way to go fuck it up. The Donna Party had with them at one point some Native Americans who basically recognized, they recognized the food supply. And the food supply, supplied by the earth, supplied by nature, and these are supposed to be some manifest destiny people, okay, Christians, you know, the Garden of Eden folks, they didn't recognize the abundant supply of food all around them but it was in the form of veggies, fruits and veggies. So eventually they turned on each other and, you know, they started to cannibalize each other, you know, eat, you know, that type of thing. Um, well, I'm looking for audio here before we go to the phone lines. But, um, oh, and the same thing happens today because now people are being cannibalized by the banking system. People are being cannibalized by local governments. Not all, but some. People being cannibalized but other people, they're not physically eating you no more. Man has, we, we have progressed on how we eat each other now. Columbus, Donner, Native Americans, the original gangsters. So what say you about 
you know, people talk about Christopher Columbus, Columbus came over and killed people, which he did. But are you going to give a pass to the Native Americans who were killing each other and taking each other's land before the Europeans set foot in the Western Hemisphere? Do they do they get 100% pass on this? I'm, I'm just asking. Three four uh three fourteen area code your mic is open. Yeah, LA. This stuff about doing? Columbus doing all those things is a bunch of hogwash, man. It just don't make any sense. Without even getting into any great research on it. But those Aztecs they wage war other groups and they had an army of over 250,000 so it is reported and they had that great temple that step pyramid what was it called the Tenochtitlan 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 yeah, they were performing human sacrifices and they was carried out during those rituals festivals bodies were thrown down the steps Human sacrifices yep. was practiced throughout the Mesoamerica. That's true. And according to their own count, in four days they sacrificed over eighty thousand prisoners. Where did they get the prisoners from? In the course of four days. Where did they get the prisoners from? They got the prisoners from fighting against each other. Hell, even the African explorers came to this part of the world and they was fighting the Taino. Columbus was selling under the auspices and under the absolution of the Catholic Church. And of course, those two personages in Isabella and Fainter, Ferdinand, he never said he discovered America. That's something that has been attributed to him falsely. In 1992, the U.S. Congress acclaimed during a coincidental, or should I say the 500th year, and recognize his trips as voyages of exploration, not discovery. And when he sailed, you had African chiefs, and this is also documented in journals, not somebody's stories, that came to this part of the Western Hemisphere, and they brought slaves with them. Slavery was a common thing. It wasn't. It wasn't based on color, by the way. And early on, right. it was based on you just ended up that way for whatever reason. But heck, if you're gonna call Columbus a monster, well, how about that monster we know as God of the Bible? That character. Through the Bible itself, through Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Second Kings, First Kings, First Samuel, Esther, Job, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, Judges, Numbers, 
Apocryphal in Exodus and Joshua, he killed over 2.8 million people. Guess how many Satan is known to have killed within the confines of the Bible? Only 10. So I know people hate to hear these things because because they've been conditioned to think in a certain way. And one thing that's absent in the repertoire of many citizens of the United States and maybe so in the world also when they demonstrate their human nature. They lack the ability to use critical thinking. I mean, just think about it. How in the hell is the crew of a boat, a ship, going to take over a whole nation? The Aztecs had an army over 250,000 as it has been reported. So how is this crew of 30 in one ship, if they had three ships, the Nina, the Pina, whatever the other one was, that's 90. Even if they had 50 per ship. And these weren't no ocean, these weren't no carnival cruise lines. They weren't going to do no damage to no Aztecs in the armies that they had. Well, now, let me ask now, you this question. Now, you, you're bringing up some good points with with this numbers game. But what about, you know, when, when Columbus came over, they had the gun. Which was yeah, flintlock, single shot. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. You ain't gonna do nothing with no no single shot gun. You gotta put your Peter pewter in there. You gotta put your firing thing. You gotta fill it up with gunpowder. Then you gotta uh, put uh, a ball in there. That's true. How they long did does not it take? Automatic weapons. They didn't they have some automatic weapons. They didn't have no Gatling gun. They didn't have no Henry rifle. And half the time that stuff wouldn't work. So all this stuff is a bunch of crazy. You know, I'm going to tell, tell it like I detest when I hear a white female trying to give a narrative about somebody else's event, especially if you're talking about Africans and somebody else. It just seems like it just goes completely haywire. And these people, hell, they stuck their foot in their own mouth. They made the point that Europeans was in this part of the world first. Well, that's a lie. Then they made mention about it was Spanish Spaniards doing all this stuff and then in the end run you blame Columbus when you listen closely to what they're saying and you know another point too uh, people talk about we took the land from the Indians like you said when you hit here when uh, when uh, people arrived here to this continent those Indians were fighting amongst each other I mean that's human right. age people do that Ants do that. And guess what? You had one tribe, one group that collaborated with the settlers. You know what they collaborated for? They wanted some weapons. They wanted some guns. Who are they going to use the guns on? They're going to use the guns on the other tribes that they were fighting against. Hmm. And another point, you look at the revolutionary... He's right. Go ahead. So, uh, you know, now look at the rep- that a lot of people leave, at- leave those facts out. 
Yeah, they do for for a demonic reason. Another point during the Revolutionary War with the United States, or should I say, the Patriots, Americans, however you want to call, were fighting against Britain. And look at one leader at the time, the first U.S. president, George Washington. He fought battles. He led Patriots armies. And you had Indians that was being supplied weapons by Britain, mercenaries, I guess you could call them, that was fighting against Washington. The Haitians, black Haitians, under the leadership of Henry Christoph, fought with Washington at Savannah. And you also had, guess who? The French fighting with Washington. The French and the Haitians fought with Washington at Savannah. Washington would dine in a black restaurant at periods of time because black businesses was booming. And I ain't going to say booming, but you had Bootu black businesses from 1600 on through 1865. And you had one gentleman that was providing components of those guns to both sides of the Civil War, the Union troops and also the Confederate troops. All this indicated through records that has been cowed and put into black entrepreneur businesses during that period of time. So, no, I'm totally against uh, taking down Columbus statue. Matter of fact, I participated in a protest of taking the statue down there in Tower Grove Park at the Grand Boulevard entrance about maybe three weeks ago. And guess what? The group that was for taking it down would not let those who was against it even join in with them. Wouldn't even let them speak. We had a news reporter by the name of Elliot Davis who was covering the event. And Elliot interviewed me. And I'm yeah. trying to find it, but I don't know where it is. I haven't been knowing Elliot Davis for a long time. Is he related to you? I don't know. Uh, and also, I was so lucky because I became a uh, acquaintance to a group of white bikers who were bikers for Trump. Oh, it was such a marvelous day for me, man. It, it was the highlight of my weekend. Go tell it on. All right, well, okay, all right, Kianke, hold on there. Let's go to uh next call, call here. Cause, oh, where did they go? Because we got a bunch of callers here. Where did they go? Oh, here, here it is. Okay, area code 407, your mic is open. Uh, good morning, L.A. Good morning, Pianke. You just answered a question for me, L.A., because uh, I went to the Crow Nation Reservation uh, a couple of years ago uh, to see Peggy, a uh, well-known buffalo, and stay with her for five days. And I kept asking myself, what is the karma cause such suffering on the reservation? Because there was a lot, obviously, a lot of uh, turmoil or <clears throat> conflict, suffering, poverty, in uh, in um in where I was Montana, 
where I visited the Crow Nation Reservation. And <clears throat> today I realized all that violence within the tribe, between the tribes, that created not just the Trail of Tears, but the slaughters that um, um, the, the tribe suffered, that was all, a, I think it was the karma that they reaped from all the violence that they were participating in before, like you said, even Columbus. Because it was just in my head to say, okay, I need to know why, what the And I asked one of the, the, uh, the Native Americans on the reservation while I was there, what do you think contributed to all this suffering? And he said it was because they were too easy with the American soldiers. They were too, they were too soft with the American soldiers. So that's what caused the suffering uh, um, in the, on the trial. And um, what was the, the big one that, that was the big slaughter? Little Bighorn so, with Custer or something. No, not a little bighorn, but the other one. I can't it's a slip in my mind. So I realized that it was a karma. And so, um, you know, there is not a G-O-D. I, I keep hearing, you know, that about this character in the sky with all the violence that he he's participating in. The, the creator is not a character in my belief system, my BS. The creator is a collective, um, unified the force of energy called the cosmos, called the universe, called nature. If you don't have a relationship with the nature around you, the bees, the bugs, the animals, the cows, and you don't know the creator, because those that part of the creator is always communicating with us. That's what I have found out living out in the country, is that these animals are always communicating. The dogs, the cats, the ants. You sit and watch some ants and tell me that they don't have a big plan going on as they're building whatever they're building. You tell me these turtles and all these creatures are not part of the system called the universe, called the cosmos, called Yahweh, called the El Hahim. It's a plurality. It's not a character. God is not a character. God, the creator, is a plurality of collective energy. And you, if you say you're an atheist, that's fine. But you're gonna have, you're gonna feel the forces of co- the cosmos, the planet, the moon, the stars, the wind, the sun, the moon. You're gonna feel that. That's what the creator is, not some character up in the sky with a long white man with a long beard. So if we can get away from that perception, that idea that God is some singular character, then we can more, I think, relate. Not with our Bibles, as my, my guest on Sunday was very clear about why he has a mission to bring um, cannabis, legalized cannabis, and help Christians understand. And Christians need to stop having a relationship with their Bible and have a relationship with the, rea- the creator, the astrology, the sun, the moon, the stars. That is the plurality, collective energy that many people call God. And that's why we're confused and in violence. That's why, you know, this country can go over to the, the Middle East and Syria and say they're doing work for God because they don't even know who that is. They think killing other, bombing other countries is doing work protecting America, and that's what God wants them to do. Well, they're full of shit. And that's why we're confused about what's going on in our society and our, all this violence. We're, we're reaping what we're sold. Just as you're talking about, all this karma is, has come back, and if we don't stop the cycle, accept responsibility, and stop the victim, victimology, 
we're going to keep repeating the cycle because that's what the creator and the universe is all about, balancing energy. And we keep creating more karmic energy because we don't understand who this source of energy is in the cosmos and the universe and who's running this whole show. Yeah, well, the Donner Party needs to know that. Because, <laughs> uh, like you said, if they knew, if they knew, um, if they knew the, uh, uh, like I said, that's Western thinking. Western thinking is based on scarcity. But we, I mean, right. it's, it, there's an abundant supply of, like I say, in, even in the dead of winter in Alaska or in a scorching desert out in the Chihuahua Mountains and Texas and Mexico, there's an abundant food supply. Everything you need is within a one square mile radius wherever you stand. However, our educational system teaches us to be dependent upon outside sources and not recognize the abundance of everything we need. Actually, without uh, without government issued currency. And that's, so that, why so that's, a whole that's, not, that's why so many black folks, Amer- African-Americans, whatever you want to call them, are so confused and deceived and victim-minded because they were taught by the master that you are slaves and this is the Bible and you need to trust the Bible and you need to trust Jesus. You need to trust all this other bullshit we're presenting you so you will remain slaves. And she, here we are in 2018, we still have the same mentality. Time to come out of that. That's why I do soul purpose, healing, health, and wellness to help people be deliver the slaves from the plantation line. That's what we are up against uh, these days if we are conscious about changing this society and taking, eliminating war within and so we can get rid of the war without. Okay, well, we, I mean, we aren't going to do it this podcast, but if we look at it uh, from a global perspective, man is basically predatory. I mean, gang is kind of, we celebrate predators. I mean, it, the so-called discoverers, <laughs> basically, you it, know what? Uh, they were basically all gangsters. Yeah, yeah. You know what? What she said about the war within. Well, that's a, that's true because within your body you have bacteria, <clears throat> you have dormant viruses that's trying to kill you. When that baby came out of the womb and it was baptized and presented with the immunities that the mother had uh, acquired, that permitted that baby to live outside of the womb. When a man, a male, ejaculates sperm into a woman, and as that sperm travels up that path, you have along the path, you have defenses that's trying to kill that sperm. That's true. Well, well, that's part of the system, Pianchi. Pianchi, we, we don't really have an immune system. We have a support system. We have what's called the microbiome community. If you don't even research that, you really should. That's the front in our body is the microbiome community. It consists of viruses, bacteria, microbes that are programmed from birth to do a certain job to help us survive in this planet called Earth. It's not that they're trying to kill each other. It's that we put inside of this body all kinds of processed food, toxins, chemicals, and then they go to work 
to balance the system, and we think, oh, my goodness, there's a war going on. Well, they're just actually doing That's how we have superbugs in the hospitals, because they put so many antibiotics in, in our body, people's bodies, that these microbiome communities say, wait a minute, we're in charge here, not the antibiotics. So they well, have a war going it, on because of man's ignorance. Antibiotics is nothing more than the support of your immune system. When no, one group not. travel, well, well, let me finish saying what I got to say. Listen, ma'am, listen, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to argue with you. Now, let me say what I got to say. Then you say what you got to say. Why does it always have to be an argument? Now, Go ahead. when one group traveled around the world and came in contact with another group, even Africans done this, that group that came in contact with one or the other had a disease, a defense, that the other's bodies had never seen before. And some of the people of the contact would perish. Some would get sick and get well. The ones that got well had produced an immune for their body defenses, whereas that disease would no longer be a problem. It happened with the Hawaiians. When whites or Europeans first came in contact with them, Africans carried the same thing. I mean, that's just a that's just a thing of human beings. And when you have an interbreeding of people from one region with those of another region, that offspring carries uh, blueprints of both, thus by making them stronger to face something in the future. So. Uh, yeah, that's it. Okay, well, let's go down. Let's talk. We got it. We got. That's partially true. That's partially true. If you don't understand your microbiome system and you have a weak immune system, I don't care where you go in this world. You could die from any any bacteria or virus in some country, malaria or whatever. If your system is weak, mental, spiritual, uh, physical, if it's weak doesn't matter who you are. You're going to die. You could die from some strange disease in another country. But if you have a strong support system, strong microbiome system, the microbiome, there's, there's more microbiome bacteria, microbes in your body than there are cells. You've got trillions and trillions of microbiome cells in your body that are programmed to protect us. The problem is we're ignorant about that, and we use antibiotics, we use all these other the chemicals, and try and fight the microbiome system instead of supporting it with fermented foods, with all the, the uh, vitamins and minerals from other uh, plants. We don't do that because we're ignorant. So I admit, I admit that. I'm ignorant. Of, I've been ignorant about a lot of things about my body. But the more you know about this system that the creator has given us from birth, then you're able to fight off anything and you don't necessarily need antibiotics unless, again, your system is weak. Well, let me ask you. Remember, you remember, uh, you and, remember and, and, oh, Wait a minute, oh, hold on. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Fiona, because you're a vegetarian. In relationship to paddle uh, today, Columbus Donner, the Donner Party, Native American, if you are in the wilds of Maine or Alaska right now, or even Montana. Well, you know what? You're in Florida. If you are in the wilderness areas of Florida with no money, I, we just threw you out there. No money, 
and you had to survive for five days. No, no, no. Let's make it interesting. Twenty-one days. And uh, what? Pick your pick your Florida Everglades, the Florida Panhandle. All you have is you and nature. How long would you last? Because you're in the middle. No matter where you are, you're in the middle of nature's gro- abundant grocery store. The Donner Party didn't recognize the food supply around them. What about you? I think survival depends on your knowledge. you got to know the plants around you, which ones are good and which ones are not good, which ones are poisonous. you got to know your environment. So whatever environment I would be put in, I would hope I'd have enough knowledge to know which plants can help me survive. Water, wherever there's water. I might grab a fish if there's a fish available in water. I would do whatever the environment tells me to do because I have a relationship with the creator, most high universe, cosmos, birds, bees, animals. That's my relationship. I don't read a Bible as much as I used to because that's not where the strength and the power and the spirituality is. There has to be a relationship well, now, with your environment. You said you have a relationship with the creator. Let's, let's go back to the Donna party. Manifest destined Christians. I'm sure they were praying to Jesus while they were starving in the middle of a grocery store. We're not supposed to pray to Jesus. We're supposed to become the Messiah. We're supposed to become anointed. That's the mistake we got. They didn't didn't hear that speech. They didn't hear those speeches. Exactly. As we grow, we understand. Even if they heard it, it, and probably some people, some people probably say, you're blaspheming. Mm Well, you know, another thing, too, every every ethnic group had their own gods and how they went about practicing their religion, which was no other than a deification of their culture. But I was going to make some other references, because you remember Asa Hiller. You heard of him. Asa Hiller, as I told you in another program, was all that vegetarian, so on, so on, so on, so on. He went to Ghana, and they didn't take the shots. Either the malaria shots or the yellow fever shots, and he came down. And he was contact. He was he was infected with malaria, and it didn't come down on him till after he had traveled to his next destination, which was Egypt, where he died. If I took you L.A. and took you over to a West African country, you're going to come down with a sickness. Especially if you eat the food, other than what's in the hotel, which is nothing more than a transportation, importation of the food that you've been eating here in the United States. Because when you go out into those areas and eating the food, drinking the water, or even just breathing the death, that bacteria is going to start working to kill you. I mean, that's just it. I have gotten sick in places that I've ate. You get diarrhea. What is diarrhea? When you have diarrhea, what is that telling you? That your body is doing what? Your body is going through a shock. It don't. It's confused. It don't know what the heck to do. Because it has never seen this stuff. So these things will, and I'm telling you, and don't believe me, go over there and try. It will kill you. In some areas, well, it's worse than others. I, I believe because the first time I went over to Europe, I had to adjust 
Uh, and then every, after that, I was okay. And then when I went over to Asia, uh, I had to adjust again. Um, I, I haven't been over to the, the continent yet, Africa, but I'll probably take those shots. Yeah, the thing about those diseases, uh, once that parasite gets in your body, or that bacteria get in your body, it may have delayed, long delayed effects. A, 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 a come down on you may not occur for months. And you come mm-hmm. back to the States and been here six or eight months after that trip, and all of a sudden something comes down on you, and, you know, hopefully that you're not unconscious or you can't speak for yourself, and they rush you off to an emergency room, some doctor's going to look at you as if whatever it is that's pertaining, that's, that's uh, affecting you, is pertaining to your experience here in the United States. They don't have a slightest idea what the hell's wrong with you. And well, the you know, precious moments that they need to know. Right. It, we need to do a whole podcast. But before we go to the next talk, just commenting on what you just saying. Uh, the Charles Tyler Group, um, which they still have an active form on our Facebook, uh, Charles passed away in Brazil at 44 last Thanksgiving weekend, but he was the fourth person. Three other American guys that were part of that group also passed away. They all passed away in Brazil. All passed away in Brazil. Now, from and what I heard, have... all four of them were out of shape, but yeah, what you're saying, have... Pianca, is a lot of merit. So you have have a a universe, the creator's plant system. There is probably a plant for every disease that shows up in our bodies. But how many people know that? Ignorance. And Charles Tyler and all those men were in very poor shape. Their Their internal environment was so sick and full of chemicals and drugs that any little bug could go in and kill them. That's what this super bug is all about. There are so many people who have so many pharmaceuticals, toxins. Diarrhea helps you get rid of the toxins. That's what diarrhea does. And when you start loose, your bowels get loose, your body is saying, I got to get rid of this stuff. I got to get rid of this stuff. The, 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 the human body is a, the most sophisticated biological computer on this planet. We are just ignorant of it. That's the problem. We've trusted medical doctors who are practicing with drugs and don't know beans about the kidney or the lungs or how to heal malaria. My father had a roommate with malaria back in the 50s. He ended up dying because he had gone over to Europe with, in World War II or, he was in, Malay, or um, he was in the Philippines or somewhere. But today, there's all kind of plants out there that can get rid of malaria. You just don't, we just don't know about it. People are overcoming malaria every day today, these days. We need to gain knowledge and stop being ignorant about this human vessel. The creator is not stupid. He put this vessel on the planet with all the things we need to survive. And we have reactions in our body that we say, oh, we got to go to the doctor. We got to go down. Well, that's where you're going to have people dying because the doctors don't know what to do. Okay. Now, let's go to the next call. Let's see if we can get back on topic. We went deep in on this one. Columbus, the Donner Party, Native Americans, the original Gangsters, what say you? Six one nine seven six eight two nine four five. We got a completely lit phone uh, phone bank today. Uh, seven seven three. Your mic is open. 
<laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I tell you, y'all, there's a conversation going this morning that I'm not going to even participate in because I don't know that much about it. But I do know this. We got to deal with it, with everything is at hand. And what I'm going to ask you this morning is, you had on the broadcast at one point about the stoves that uh, we can use to keep our apartment warm. And I was thinking about the old popular stove we used to use when I was a boy. Uh, we had renovating the house. This would come out of the summit on Saturday. We're renovating the house. We're having this, we're fixing this house as a pilot so that we can get people involved to be collectively independent in this country. Now that we are here, we've got to be able to survive and do whatever it takes in learning the survival skills that God has given us, and we haven't done anything with it but followed other people that want to kill us and uh, kill some of us. But I'm a living, I'm a living being, 79 years old, to tell you right now that I have been operated on three times, and I'm still living, still kicking, and enjoying, enjoying the God-given gift that He has given me. And I want to create the solution to the problem, and not have to talk about the problem, as uh, the lady was saying a moment ago. We are so ignorant about what God has put in place for us until it becomes a conversation that we know nothing about, and I won't collaborate on that today. But when this call is over, give me a call, if you will, L.A., because I want to find out where we can get those heaters from so that because winter is on top of us here in Chicago, and uh, we want to fix it up so where homeless people will have a place to live and survive and a job so that they can make some money and create some babies so that they can get sick and whatever it takes to heal them. So that's going to be the solution that I'm working on for the rest of the couple of years that I'm on this planet. Thank you, much. Hope to see you guys tomorrow. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, that, those were uh, corn furnaces. Just, I'll give you a call, but corn okay. furnaces, that's, uh, corn is um, an alternative, uh, alternate, uh, what do you call it, renewable energy um, source of um, heat instead of uh, dealing with the uh, – the, the the you know the local power company which um, yeah we we gotta use wood we got plenty of wood that we're gonna be using for the heating right right uh, <clears throat> let's see let's go to the next caller um, area code three two three your mic is open hello yep, hello your mic is open yep, oh how are you today open. sir. You hear me? Yeah. You hear me? Great. I am a huge. Oops. Lost that call. Hold it. Let's take the next one. Six six seven. Your mic is open. 
Hi, sir. How you doing, Tate? Really enjoying the show. I I had a lot of thoughts on Columbus the other day. Our office gave us uh, the day off, and I wondered, you know, is that really something they should be doing? There's a lot of debate. Um, You brought up a lot of good topics on today's show, and I want to thank you uh, for all you do. Learned a lot about a variety of things, uh, including home improvement. So really want to thank you for this show. I think it's a a fabulous um, outlet. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Do you have uh, any recommendations uh, going forward about um, if I wanted to buy, like, let's say, a Hitachi drill or something of that nature or a, uh, a bandsaw? I, you know what? Let me open up my, uh, his mic. Uh, you know, we're going to bring somebody on. I was just talking to somebody yesterday afternoon. We're going to bring a... Um, a few home improvement, uh, home well, not only home improvement people on, but uh, builders, uh, carpenters, right. that type of thing. Uh, so you know you can. So I couldn't okay. recommend it, but uh, and I'll tell you, so I'd buy a like and You got to listen to this. The sound it's making it's very bizarre. Oh my fucking hand! Ah! Ah, I fucking cut my hand off. You know what? For the last two days, <laughs> we've had trolls come up in here, and it, it's rare. Four years, four years doing this podcast, going on five, and we only had like prior to yesterday. Uh, prior to yesterday, we only had one troll. All right, but the last two days. We've had two trolls able to get in. Okay, but I, but I suspect there there are more there are more that are floating out there. But um, but anyway, before that troll bloomed, uh, like I said, I was talking to a carpenter yesterday. So we're going to have carpenters on it because one of the things that matter of fact Thursday we're going to go back to our twenty hour. Uh, 20 hour thing, which is you can learn anything in 20 hours. The, the, the theme that, or the offline class that we will have, and then we'll do videos and podcasts on it, would be how to build, uh, build a zero net energy home, tiny house style, within a 20 hour period of time. So, you know, it, it, let's say you know nothing about carpentry, woodworking, nothing, within a 20 hour period of time um, with a team. Um, we're going to go through that. So, but anyway, for the last, so actually, you know what? The trolls started showing up when we started talking about learn something in 20 hours. I don't know what all that's about. Um, but in any event, uh, yesterday we had, uh, what was it? Um, some guys that called in about uh, nails, and then they had a, uh, just like this, the last person you just heard, they had an accident, and then, um, of course, today, uh, anyway. But, uh, you know, you got people that used to call in and like to call on black shows and use the word nigger. I, I would just let them go ahead and talk, and once they get done, that's all. Okay, thanks for calling in. Bye-bye. 
They, well, you, you got know, some white cops yeah, there that think I, the blacks are getting. You know what? I I don't really censor people, but that let him know, go ahead that, and play his cartoons and so forth, and give him his minute, and then uh, go on to the next caller. Listen, whites, we don't give a damn about you calling using the word nigga. Hell, what does that mean? It don't get me excited. So if it gets you excited, go ahead and get your one minute in, then go on. we'll go to the next caller. It, I, I guess they want, uh, want and, I'm a, and, and, and I'm a Donald Trump supporter and voter, and I know he's not about you. But anyway, get back to your program. <laughs> okay. Well, um, okay, well, anyway, look, I'm trying to get a stay on my 20 hours. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to thank everybody that called in today and listened. We'll be back. Matter of fact, tomorrow we have a guest. Uh, we're going to, I think she's going to be talking about test taking, test taking. All right. And then Thursday we'll go back to 20, you know, the 20 hour project how to learn anything in 20 hours. All right. On that note, everyone have a good rest of the day.